ready to worship the Lord, we're going to sing an old hymn of the church. It simply just says, I fly away. So let's worship the Lord this evening. Father, Lord, we just love you and worship you and glorify your name. Lord, we ask that your presence would come in this place tonight and just be, meet with your people. Thank you for the presence that we have felt in this place this morning. But Lord, speak to your people tonight. For we love you and welcome you in this place. In Christ's name we pray. The people of God together said amen. 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 Let's sing together. Victory is mine today. Victory is mine, victory is mine, victory today is mine. 
Father, Lord, we know that you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. And all majesty is due your name. And Father, Lord, we, Lord, want to once again just welcome your spirit in this place. Because, God, Lord, we know that we don't come on an evening worship service just because we can't find anything better to do with our time, but we come because we know that we need you in our lives. So God, as we get ready to, in just a moment, break the bread of life, I ask you to touch us in a special way and open the eyes and the hearts and the ears of those that are in this building today. Father, may you be glorified in everything that is said and everything that is done. Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. The people of God together said amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Can we just give the worship team and band a hand of appreciation just for all the work they put in each week? They are so integral. We had to shuffle some parts around tonight because of some change of schedules, but they jumped right in and bailed the preacher out and said, we'll be here, we're coming, and they adjusted on the fly, and I can't thank them enough for bailing us out today and helping us out. All our online guests, welcome to church today. Uh, we welcome you in church. Yeah, you your Bibles, I want you to go to Jeremiah 29, uh, chapter 29, uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, and uh, we'll stand here for the reading of God's Word here in a moment once you have it. Jeremiah 29, you can go ahead and stand. Brother Dennis is already ready. He's ready for it. He is ready for the Word today. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. I'll give you just another moment to get there today. You know this scripture very well. Uh, you have probably um, probably quoted it in your lifetime. If you haven't quoted it, you have heard it quoted probably by me or somebody else uh, in some kind of sermon or frame of reference. We're going to look at it a little bit different here in just a moment. For I know the plans or the thoughts that I think towards you, saith God, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Verse 12, you'll call upon me, and you shall go, and you'll pray unto me, and I will listen, I will hearken unto you. Verse 13. And you shall seek me, and you'll find me. Don't you just love it that when you look for God, he'll make himself known? You'll find me, and when you search, but you have to search for me, not just half-heartedly. You have to search for me with your whole heart. Verse 14. And I will be found with you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from the places whither I have driven you, saith God, and I will bring you back. Oh, I'm sorry there. I will bring you back again to the place where I caused you to be carried away captive. What God is saying to, through the prophet Jeremiah to the nation of Israel is, I know you've been scattered for a while. The great dispersal has happened. Some of you have been in Babylonian captivity with Nebuchadnezzar, and some of us have got left behind in Jerusalem. But there is coming a day where God will bring us all back together. Can I tell you, I can't predict what's going to happen in the global economy, what's going to happen in the elections, what's going to happen in corporate America or in political America. But can I tell you that one day God's going to come back and all the saints that are already gone home and all of us that are here one day, he's going to bring us all back together at one place and we're all coming back and doing this thing together the right way. 
The Bible says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not. He said, there'll be a new Jerusalem. One day we're all going to come back together and hang out together. I'm going to meet Abraham face to face. I'm going to shake hands with Isaac. I'm going to get to high five David. I'm going to get to talk to to Paul and Timothy and others. I'm going to get to see people that I've read about for many years, but I'm going to actually get to say, hey, buddy. How are you? Tell me your story. We're going to be all together. So what does it mean? We're going to talk again today. Empowered to live by faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just worship you and glorify you. We magnify you. Help us to hear your word today. Not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Lord, open our eyes to see what you would have to be spoken in the presence of your people today. And we will forever glorify and magnify your name and the people of God together said, Amen. Amen. Before you may be seated, before Miss Carol leaves, Miss Carol, will you give me the key of E flat? This is an old song that we used to sing in the church when I was growing up as a kid. It's probably you could be seated in the presence of the Lord. But my dad was, uh, he was spontaneous. I called him a spontaneous singer. My dad would get these wild hair ideas in the middle of a sermon. He would be like, you know, when I played for him years ago, he'd get in these wild hair ideas. He wouldn't even tell me half the time the key because he didn't know what key he was going to sing it in. He'd just make it up. He'd start singing, and his, he would tell me every time after church, now, son, you always got to be ready. I don't care whatever singing. By the time I get to the chorus, you better know where I'm at and don't make me look dumb up here. You better find me. I'm like, I don't know where you're at. He said, well, find it. That's what I paid you for, which he never actually paid me for any of that. But he would do this. But he used to sing. My dad was raised Southern Baptist. And, uh, and uh, he met my mom, and they became Pentecostal. But he used to sing this church. He taught me this song when he was in the Southern Baptist Church. But it has made its way into Pentecostal circles. And it's in the uh, Redback Hymnal. Uh, actually, it's found in the Redback Hymnal on page 162. It's very famous. But we're gonna actually, I'm going to actually start on the chorus to talk about this. So if you'll give me that E flat real quick. Well, I'm living by faith. Oh, in Jesus above, oh, I'm trusting, confiding in His great love. Oh, from all arms safe, in His sheltering arms, oh, I'm living by faith, and I feel no alarm. Now, that's a great song. Till you think about what you're actually singing. You see, I have never seen Jesus face to face. But I can tell you I am more confident today that he's ever real than I've ever been before. Because if he wasn't real, this thing would be a whole lot worse than it is right now. So I know he's real. The old song says, since Jesus came into my heart, yeah, he, that's how I know. Somebody, one songwriter said, how do, how, you know, basically, how do you know that, that he lives? Because he lives within my heart. That's how I I, I know this. And so when we talk about this, uh, empowered to live by faith, I started thinking about songs of faith. I said, and I'm going to get to the message here in just a second, but I started thinking about songs like living by faith. I, I started thinking about songs that we talk about going to heaven. None of us have seen heaven. So even tonight when you sang, sing the wondrous love of Jesus, sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place. For when we all get to heaven. Anybody went yet? I haven't went yet. This ain't heaven for me. <laughs> Maybe for you. But this is the closest I ever want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I want something better than this. I'm just telling you all that right now. But we sing when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Well, we ain't been there. So I'm singing by faith right there. Because I've never seen heaven. But I believe one day I'm going there. 
Even tonight when we sing things like, Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. I've never flown. I mean, I've flown in Delta, but I've never flown on my own without any help. I'm going to fly away. That's my faith. I've never been raptured, but I believe it's going to happen. Now, we can sing songs like, you know, have a little talk with Jesus. Well, you might have that every week. You might talk to the Lord, and that's good. But we sing lots of songs in our history of our church and all of these. We sing about songs that are songs of faith. We've never, we've never seen heaven. We've never flown away, but we believe it or we wouldn't sing it. We believe it's coming. We start singing songs, we shall see the king, we shall see the king, we shall see the king when he comes. He's coming in power, we'll hail the blessed hour, we shall see the king when he comes. We've not seen him yet, but we believe we're going to see him one day. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be in what? We've not heard the trumpet. I haven't heard it yet, blown, maybe you have. If it has blown, we're in trouble because we all got left here. <laughs> so some, y'all, y'all in the same boat with me, if y'all got left too. Because when the roll is called up yonder, see, I've not heard it called yet, but one day I do believe I'm going to hear it. That's a song of faith. We haven't seen it, but we're singing it by faith. And when I was pastoring an all-African-American church for a while, they used to come in the back door singing things like this. We've come this far by faith, leaning on the Lord, trusting in His holy word. He's never failed me yet. Oh, 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 can't turn back now. We've come this far by faith. I, I mean, that's the truth. We are only here by the grace of God. See, I, I want to thank you, Miss Carrie. I won't make you sit there all day. That's uncomfortable. But the point to be made is we sing a lot of songs that we've not experienced yet. We're just hoping to one day experience. I've not been to heaven yet, but I do believe that there's a place called heaven I'm going to one day. I've never flown and been raptured before, but I do believe one day these feet are going to lose their gravitational pull and the earth will not be able to hold them any longer. And no matter what the devil may try to do, God's going to let my body tree transformed in the twinkling of an eye and I'm going to be caught up in the clouds of glory ever so be to be with the Lord. I believe that. I haven't had it happen yet, but I believe it. That's faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells me faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence or the confident assurance of things I haven't seen. I, there's things I can't explain, but I still believe it can happen. I haven't seen Jesus. I haven't seen Paul. I haven't seen Abraham, Isaac, but I believe they're real. I believe Lazarus was resurrected from the dead. I wasn't there, but I do believe that it happened. By faith, I believe it. The Bible tells us that we are justified by faith. We are saved. By faith, not by works, lest any man should vote. We have to be saved by our faith in Jesus Christ. I wasn't there on Calvary's hill, but I believe it was necessary for me to have salvation to make it there. To make it to heaven one day, someone had to die. I should have died, but someone else took my place. We sing all these songs of faith. And I'm sure there's countless other songs that you know or that you may have sung as a child. Or maybe you have heard other people sing that were hymns or praise and worship, songs of faith. We sing, sing we, I mean, I've heard people in my lifetime sing songs like, We Shall Behold Him. We haven't seen Him. But they, somebody, Lauren Hill Harris and Sandy Patty, made it such a beautiful rendition of it that one day we're going to see Him in all of His glory. We can't explain it, but one day we're going to see Him in a way that you can't even begin to describe how He looks and the radiance of His glory and His beauty. It's songs of faith. It's, it's these acts of faith. We, we, we talk about going to heaven. We talk about seeing our loved ones. We talk about that perfect peace, that perfect place, that, that, that eternal resting place. All of that is by faith. 
Now, I have met people that says, well, Pastor, how do you, what if you're wrong? What if it's not really there? And I said, well, here's my philosophy on that. I know I don't have a Ph.D. in, uh, in theology or a Ph.D. In, in biochemistry or anything else. Uh, I don't have any of that. But uh, I have come to feel like I have come up with the smartest answer that I could never think of. Now, you may think of a better one, but I have come up with, I think, the best answer. I had someone say, well, Pastor, they were, they were one person. They, they were once one of those people that they doubted everything. They once said, they first told me they were one of the once saved, always saved group. They got saved when they were like 10, and then they lived a lifestyle that was not being pleasing of the Lord, but they were going to be all right. Well, then later in life, Sister Buell, they finally told me, well, I don't even know if I believe that anymore. And they said, what if you've done all this and it was for no, for no reason? You die and there is nothing. Think about what you lost. I said, well, here's the bottom line. Here was my answer. I said, if you're right and I'm wrong, then, Brother James, I might have missed out on, let's just say, 80 years of things I could have done frivolously in earth. I might have had to sacrifice a few things along life's way, but for 80 years, I didn't get to live as fun as you did, man. I said, but I only lost 80 years. However, if I'm right, and there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, and you're wrong, you got 80 years of enjoying heaven here in your eyes, but you got all eternity to lose. So who's got a bigger risk here? Me? I lost 80 years of whatever you think this is. Or you, who's going to have all eternity to answer? Who's got a bigger risk here? Because here's the reality. Some people don't want to believe in it. They don't want to accept it. But, but people say, well, Pastor, you, don't, you, know, you realize you, may, you might miss out on these opportunities. Well, if I do miss out on these opportunities, I'm only losing a couple years, not all of eternity, while some people, they better enjoy this earth because this is the closest thing to heaven they'll ever see because when their election draweth nigh and they stand before the great white throne judgment, they better enjoy those 80 years on earth because they're going to spend eternity in eternal damnation and separated from God. Listen, I'm here to tell somebody tonight, even though this is the cream of the crop, you don't hear a lot of people talk about it, but there's still a heaven to go to and there's a hell to avoid. Nobody wants to talk about hell anymore, but people got to realize it's just as real as heaven. We we got to make sure we go into heaven because if you don't, you will spend eternity separated from the Lord. There's a hell to heaven to gain and a hell to shun. But see, it's by faith. Well, Pastor, how do you know? Well, you know, the Bible gives us stories. How do you know the Bible is real? We, we read last week in Hebrews. We started talking in Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Faith chapter, if you will, all of the people that were the Best of the best of faith. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Rahab and others. I mean, we read a laundry list of people. In fact, we read in the, towards the end, latter part of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse like 32 and following that, that, that we didn't even have time to tell everybody's story because it would just take too much time. We just had to just give you a couple names. We couldn't tell you everybody. It was too much. We read at the end of Hebrews chapter 11 that they didn't even receive the promise into its fullness because God had something better. He wants all of us to experience heaven together in the fullness thereof. And we talked about living by faith. We talked about that sometimes God will use a variety of people. God doesn't make 
duplicates in terms of having a mold and says, well, I want to make 40 people out of this same mold. Everybody's different. You can look exactly the same, but you have a different fingerprint. You are different. God makes each one of us uniquely different, just like a snowflake is different. You can have identical twins and not be able to tell the difference, but they're going to have different fingerprints because they are designed to be different than anything else. Because the reality of it is God uses variety. He is a creationalist. He is an originalist. He makes things from scratch. He doesn't dupli- He doesn't go around saying, well, I got the recipe perfected this time. Let me just make a hundred more that looks like this. No, that's not how he does that. But when we talk about living by faith, we talk about experiencing faith. The second thing, that was last week we talked about a variety of people. But today I want to pick up the second part is I want to talk about that, you know, God doesn't always use the same game plan. God doesn't always follow the same script. See, it's easy for us to look at similar stories within the Bible, but unless I had been where Moses had been, I can't really appreciate faith of a Red Sea unless I stood physically at a Red Sea. Now, I might can take away from that story. I, I might be facing the metaphorical, proverbial mountains of life, seas of life, detours of life, struggles of life, and I need God to make a way where there seems to be no way. I could take away the principle of the story. But it's a lot different of just metaphorically, Miss Nana, talking about it than when the real enemy is right there. I can visibly see him, and there's an insurmountable wall of water in front of me that I cannot cross. I'm trapped. It's different when I'm proverbially or metaphorically or emotionally trapped, but it's a lot different when physically I'm trapped in this situation. It takes a lot of faith when I see the enemy is right there and there is no way to cross over there. Now we say, you know, we talk about stuff like that all the time. Well, Pastor, you know, the enemy's behind me and God raised up a standard against me. And he, and met, yes, we understand the metaphorical connotation of that, but could you imagine being there when it's happening live? Imagine you were in the United States military, and you were in Ukraine right now, and you were cornered, and you see the Russian militia surrounded you. The only way of escape was to cross the Mediterranean Sea, but you don't have a boat. (laughs) There's no ships coming in because Russia has blocked the ports of call. How are you going to get off? Where are you going to go? Where are you going to hide? See, it's different to talk about metaphorical, it's, but it's a lot different when I'm trapped physically and I can't get anywhere. And some of us in life, there are times in our lives where the devil not just emotionally traps us, but physically will put us in places where we feel like we are trapped with no way out. Now, we can talk about God will make a way of an escape. We won't be tempted. And that's true. More than you can bear and all that stuff. But sometimes it doesn't feel that way when I'm trapped. I mean, I... I'd like to think that I had the faith of Moses to stand before a Red Sea, throw up my stick in the air, and watch waters recede from in front of me. That's great. But I wonder tonight if I said, okay, let's finish up and pray real quick. We're going to run out near to the tail race real quick. And I want you to hold your Bible up in the air, and I want you to watch the waters of the tail race recede so you can walk across to the other side. How many of us could actually roll back the water? Most of you would probably say, Pastor, you lost your mind. That's not possible. Well, Moses rolled back the water. It is possible. If God wants to do it, it's possible. The reality is, I know you don't test God. I get that. But my point in saying that is, it's one thing to read about it. It's another thing to live it. See, there's a lot of people in this world, on this journey of faith, that they have read the book. 
They don't live the book. See, the difference by talking about living by faith or being powered to live by faith, you can read the book, you can quote the book, you can even have a head knowledge of the book. But until you live the book, it means absolutely nothing and serves you no purpose. I know a lot of people that have been to church. They've been so churched all their life. They're the churchiest people you know. They've been in church. They're like drug addicts. They've been drugged to church every time the doors are open. They can quote it. They can tell you the reference. They can tell you everything about it. They can tell it to you in King James, New King James, NASB, the New Living Translation, the Amplified, the whatever five version. They can tell you all about it. They can quote it as good as the saints and the sinner alike. They know everything about it. They were raised in it. They were brought up in it. They went to every revival. They went to every tent meeting. They went to every uh, concert and southern gospel singing. They went to every conference. There's only one problem. They don't live it. You can know all you want to about him. you got to learn to live for him for it to matter. Because there's a difference between having a head knowledge of who Jesus is and a heart knowledge of what Jesus has done in your life. There's a distinct difference in that. And the reality of it is there's a lot of sinners that quote Scripture better than church people, but they ain't living what they're quoting. Come on, somebody. Sometimes we're all about throwing out the scriptures. Well, God before me. Who's going to be against me? Live by faith. No, I have victory because this is the victory that I have to overcome the world. Even my faith. The only problem is when the rubber meets the road, we don't live like that. See, when we talk about these things, Moses and others, the story's full of it. What would it have been like standing before Goliath? I'm not talking about my metaphorical Goliath. I'm talking about the real man. Nine point seven feet tall, standing before me, and what does that look like? What does it look like when I'm Daniel? I'm not just metaphorically being tortured for my faith. I'm standing at the mouth of the lion's den where I'm about to be shoved in, and I can see them in the bottom trying to jump up because they had been starved so long. They would literally starve them for days before they would cast somebody in the lion's den to make them want that so badly that they would just rip that person to shreds. What would it be like if I'm Daniel standing there and I know that as soon as the king gives the nod, they're just going to just gently just kind of nudge me and I'm going to fall into a pit and before I even hit the bottom, I'm going to be torn from limb to limb. This is not metaphorical. There's real life lions in front of me. What's my faith going to do then? What's my faith going to do even if I hit the bottom and don't break a bone and maybe they haven't noticed me down there yet but i got to stay there all night long and there's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere for me to go. What do I do in my faith if I am someone like Paul and Silas? I'm beaten with rods. My flesh has been torn open thrown in a jail cell waiting for my execution. I don't know the I don't know that the angel of the Lord's coming at midnight to shake the jail and open up the doors and let the chains and the fetters and the bonds fall. I don't know that at that moment. Next thing I know is they're taking me to be sentenced for crimes. I'm not expecting to have a jailbreak. Now every prisoner in the world would love for God to come and open up the doors of prison and let them out, but most of them realize that's probably not realistically going to happen. What do I do when I, when I talk about terms of faith when I'm Abraham? God tells me the promised child that I have been given. 
I've got to give it back to God. I'm not talking about baby dedication and a beautiful wrapped up in this nice white little, you know, cardigan or in this nice little white suit and the preacher's going to hold him and coddle him in my hand and he's going to pray a prayer blessing over him and give him a little Precious Memories Bible, Precious Memories Bible, a Moments Bible and give them a little, you know, cute little baby lullaby CD and a gift bag. I'm not talking about that kind of baby dedication. I'm talking about God says this is the promised child but you've got to give him back to me life for life. We're not talking about go to church and let the preacher pray over him. We're talking about kill him. Hello? What do I do with my faith then? What do I do when I lay him on the altar as that metaphorical Isaac sacrifice representing God giving his only son? What do I do when even when I draw the knife out of the sheath to slay my own son, I still haven't heard God say stop yet. In my head, I'm thinking I still have to follow through with this plan. What do I do when I slowly am just with tears streaming down my face draw it up, and my son's eyes interlock with mine, and he's looking at me, thinking to himself, what are you doing, Dad? I mean, you've lost your mind. What are you doing? I mean, can you imagine the emotional uh, feel that Isaac may have felt seeing his dad drawing a sword? He knows there's only one option here. I'm tied up. I'm bound up. I've already asked him, where's the sacrifice? You've tied me up. You've laid me on the altar, and you're drawing a sword. This doesn't look good. I still haven't heard God. And as I get ready... To make the forward trajectory to go down. Then I hear God say stop. But not until I was already in motion. And I was able to stop because the hand of the Lord stopped me. But I didn't know that till I got all the way to almost to the end. What kind of faith do I have to have to do that? You see, say, well, Pastor, what does that got to do with plans? Think about all these different stories I told you. They all still had to have faith, but none of them looked the same. Goliath did not look the same to Abraham because to Abraham he wasn't worried about a 9.7 foot giant. He was worried about my only son that I have waited over 90 years to have, to hold, to in my bosom. I've been a hundred, I waited a century. I waited a hundred years to coddle him and I have waited for my promise for a hundred years. It's not a Goliath. It's my hundredth year promise that I'm about to kill. And you think losing something you've invested for 20 years is bad enough. Imagine waiting a hundred years and losing it. To David, David didn't have a son to have to worry about at the time. His was a 9.7 foot tall giant. Moses didn't have to worry about the giant. He didn't really have to worry about his children. He was more worried about Pharaoh and a whole militia that's behind him and a wall of water in front of him, and he's trapped. Different story. Still got to have faith because all these stories end the same way. You had to trust the Lord all the way to the end. I could spend hours of time going through methodically through Scripture. Well, what kind of faith would it take to keep going to a pool called Bethesda and lay there for 38 years hoping one day that I'll hit the same day the angel troubles the water? How, how, how much faith did it take for over 38 years to continue to go to church, to go listen to the man of God, to, get, to go to the altar, to keep praying for my miracle? I've went to the same altar. I've wore, worn out a spot in the carpet right here with my knees. I've prayed for 38 years. When do I just get tired of doing it? When do I get tired of praying about it? When do I get tired of asking God to heal it? When do I get tired of asking God to save it? When do I get tired of asking God to fix it? When do I get enough enough and say, I've prayed about it long enough, I'm just done? When do I quit? How long do I have to go with that faith? What kind of faith does it take to have an incurable disease for 12 years and have spent every dime I have? I've been to every specialist. I've went to hemoglobin, other people that do uh, you know, the hemoglobin test. And, and I, I went to heart doctors. I went to lung doctors. I went to blood specialists. I went to my, to my primary care doctor. I went to cardiologist. I went to everybody. 
I've spent so much money, and they all tell me the same thing. We can't fix you. I'm broke. They tell me I'm going to die. I've been suffering with this hemorrhage for 12 years. Can you imagine you couldn't stop bleeding for 12 years? You can't stop it. There's only so much blood your body can lose before it has to be replenished. We ain't talking about she was getting blood transfusions each week. It wasn't like that back then. Could you imagine the kind of faith that it took for 12 years to not get discouraged and quit? What kind of faith it took to say, look, it's a struggle for me to even get up out of the bed, put my bedroom slippers on, and get to the kitchen table to eat breakfast because I'm so weak. But I'm going to walk miles to a church service. I'm not even got a donkey. I don't even have I don't even have a car. I don't have Uber coming to pick me up. I don't even have a donkey guy coming by in a carted wagon and take me. I gotta walk to church. Well I could preach there for a while. I should. Man, I felt like preaching there a minute, but I won't. We have so many modern conveniences in this world. We don't have to walk to church. We don't have to ride a donkey to church. We don't we we don't even really most of us don't even really have to pray that the car cranks to come to church. And yet people won't come. That's good preaching even if we are acting nominal in here. There are people in other countries walking miles and miles and miles to get to church. Stay three and four and five days at a time and have to walk miles and miles and miles back home. They don't even have shoes to walk from point A to point B. But they're hungry for the gospel. They're hungry for the message of Jesus Christ. And yet we have air conditioning seats. We got heated seats. We got cooled seats. We got Bluetooth access. We've got modern amenities. But we're too lazy to get up out of the bed and put four rubber tires on an asphalt pavement and drive to church. We got a problem in this world. Can you imagine she gives all her energy and she walks up and she thinks to myself, why bother? Twelve years of this. What is one, what is, what is one more try? If I touch the hem of his garment, it's going to take all the energy I have. You know, I don't know. She, maybe, maybe she didn't have any doubts, but I'm going to be honest with you. If it was me, probably the whole time I'm thinking, even though I'm praying, there's probably part of me going to be like, and when, once I do this, what else? Well, I have no other options. I've exhausted all options. I'm done. I don't even know. I mean, I know she knows she believed. The Bible tells us she believed if she could touch the hem of his garment. But you know, there, there had to be days she thought she never would get better. For 12 years? I mean, come on. What kind of faith does it take to have when, when I'm someone like the apostle, the revelator John, and I get accused by Roman government, and instead of killing me because they actually think that will spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, their alternative plan is, well, what we're going to do first, we're going to make a public spectacle of him. We're going to call everybody in and we're going to tie him up and hang him upside down. And we're going to take a big vat full of oil and we're going to make it extremely hot and we're going to literally try to boil him alive. And everybody's going to watch it. And history tells us they lowered this man into the boils, but it didn't even touch him. I mean, it touched him, but it didn't do nothing to him. It didn't burn him, didn't char him, didn't kill him. They got so mad, Brother Mary, this is in history books. They got so mad they didn't know what else to do. They sent him to an island called Patmos. Patmos at that time was a military, if you will, a military concentration camp. They would send people over there to 
as slaves to go out because Patmos was a rocky area. It was literally a place of, of many rocks and many stones. And what they do is they would sentence you to concentration labor. And what your job was was to go over there and to hewn out rocks every day under slave masters and being in the hot sun and being beaten to make rock queries for them to make Roman roads in Rome and the other parts of Roman the expansion of Roman territory. He was sentenced to concentration camp. What kind of faith does it take that I watched him heal blinded eyes? I watched him raise the dead. I watched him suffer and die. I saw him resurrect. Peter's already been crucified upside down. James has already been filleted alive. And others have died. And I'm still alive. And I'm, I'm in a concentration camp. This is what I signed up for. They won't even kill me. They're making me suffer. They won't even take me out. Yet, in that moment, the Bible said, but I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. <laughs> God came down to me. I was on an island all by myself. Look, I, I think about every time I read that story, I think about the movie Castaway, if anybody's ever seen it. I'm on an island, or for those of you that don't know what Castaway is, it's like a modern-day version of, your, of Gilligan's Island. So the rest of you probably know what I'm talking about now. It's that version. You're on an island all by yourself, except Gilligan had friends. Castaway, it was him and a volleyball named Wilson. That's all they had on that island. Wasn't even human. It was volleyball. The reality of it is this. I think about that with, the, with John. I'm on an island. I'm away from my family. I'm away from my friends. I'm away from my co-workers. I'm away from my church family. I am quarantined and isolated. Boy, didn't the devil try that over the last couple years with us. Get us isolated from everybody else. On my own little island all alone. But even when I'm on my own little island, God knows what island that is. And even when I'm in concentration camp, even, oh, even when I'm on the proverbial islands of life left all alone, when nobody else knows what I'm going through, and nobody else knows the pain I'm experienced, nobody else knows the heartache I felt, nobody else knows how many tears I've cried, nobody else knows all the heartache I have, but there is one that sits high above heaven and earth, that is the earth is his footstool and the stars of the heavens just encamp all around him and illuminate his glory, that he looks down to where I'm at, he knows every tear that I've cried, they're in the palm of his hand. He knows how to make a broken and contrite spirit and not despise it. I may not know where you're at and you may not even know where you're at. But God always knows exactly where you are all the time. And the Bible says that, he said, I was on the Spirit on the Lord's Day and he gave me this vision. So here's what I'm trying to get you to understand. And I see all of these stories that I just told you. They all had different walks of life. They all had different plans. God did use them in different ways. But they had one common theme. They all had to trust the Lord even when it didn't look like it was going to be okay. See, we're living in a day and an hour. I don't know when okay is going to be okay again. But I know that if I keep trusting God, even if it ain't here and it's on the other side of glory, there's coming a day where it's all going to be okay again. We're all going to be okay. We, we, even if we're the remnant, there's going to come a day. It's all going to work out. It's going to be okay. He uses a variety of plans. You see, God sees things in different perspectives than us. God doesn't do things on our time frame. He's never late. He's never early, the old song says. He's always right on time. You see, sometimes our plans are laid to ruin so that the glorious revelations of God are manifested. Sometimes God's plan may be for you to trust Him and endure what you're going through rather than escaping 
what you're going through. God doesn't always let you escape. Sometimes he just equips you to endure. He gives, he, the Bible says that his strength is made perfect in my time of weakness. Sometimes it's not about escaping it. It's about surviving it and making it through. How would you ever know? The old song says, how would I ever know if I never had a problem? How would I know God could solve them? I wouldn't know what faith in his word could do. Faith. See, I, if I never experienced a problem, I don't know he's a problem solver. If I've never been sick, I don't know he's a great physician and a healer. If I've never been sad and heartbroken, I don't know he's a comforter and a friend. If I've never experienced tragedy and loss, I never know he's the resurrection and the life. See, sometimes I have to go through it so that I know he's able to see me through it. I have to go through it so he sees me through it. See, the reality of it is, Robert Burns wrote a famous literary poem called To a Mouse. It was a conversation a mouse was having. Here's what one of his most famous lines in To a Mouse said this. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. And when he was asked what that meant, the meaning of it is this. No matter how carefully something is planned, something can still go wrong with it. I come by to tell somebody tonight, whether it's online or in this house, you may have a plan, but the devil has a plan. And your plan might be plan A. And the devil's plan might be plan B. The only problem is there's always a plan C. Because my plan may be I don't want to do this. The devil's plan might be, I'm going to take you out in this. God's plan is, I'm going to see you through this. I don't want to go in it. The devil says, I'm not going to let you leave it. God says, I'm not going to let you stay in it. See, the Bible tells me, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall not fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. Thou will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. But my cup shall run over, for surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, my plans and the devil's plans... God's plans don't always match. My plans will go wrong sometimes. I might have a plan, but it may fail. The devil certainly has a plan. The Bible says a thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. See, let me just go ahead. That one scripture tells us that everybody has a plan. See, the Bible says the enemy comes in to kill, steal, and destroy. But before you can even finish the sentence, there's a comma in that verse. And Jesus said the enemy comes in to thief. The enemy comes in to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. What he's saying is the devil said, I'm going to take you out. I'm going to knock you out. I'm going to kick you out. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take it all. God said, no, no, I don't think so. I come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. You can try, but you're only going to get so far. Because when I walk into the room, you might try to stop them. You might have them on a ventilator. You might tell them they're not going to make it out of the OR. You may not let the report look good, but when I walk in the OR, they're going to come out of the OR. When I look at the PET scan, they're going to come through the PET scan. When I go into that oncologist or that cardiologist's office, they might say this is going to happen. But when I get them into my office, into my throne room, into my presence, I will give them a different diagnosis than whatever you saw on those scans. See, I have a plan. The devil has a plan. 
but God's got a plan. And I'm telling you that my plans don't always go well. The devil's plans don't always come to pass, but God's plans never fail. My plans may not always be the way I want them to be. The devil's plans might not look as good as they seem to be, but God's going to make sure that I'm not stuck there for the rest of my life. I come by to tell somebody today that if you put your hand in the hand of the man that steals the waters and you put your hand in the hand of the man that calms the seas, I'm telling you, God will see you safely through to the other side. So there's plans. They don't always go right. But when they do go right, most of the time I can trace them back to the goodness of God. We sing it around here all the time. It's one of our favorite songs around here. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing. Of the goodness of God. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now. I know that some people don't like praise and worship songs. That's fine. There's a lot of songs I don't like either. I pick, a, I pick the songs a lot of times. I don't like half the ones I pick either. I mean, I don't like them either. But there's ever been a song that I ever thought outside of the hymns that truly had the best theological answer to a lot of life's questions. I'm not talking about the verses of the song. You can dissect them however you want to. But I'm going to tell you right now, you can't get much better than the, better theology and meat of a song because I'm going to tell you right now, facts say that all my life, he's been faithful. And all my life, he's been really good. When Even when I didn't deserve it, he was real good. And with every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. How do you say that, by preacher? Because Psalms 150 says, Let everything that has breath, let them praise the Lord. I'll praise Him in the morning. I'll praise Him in the evening. I'll praise Him in the noonday. I'll praise Him in the firmness power. Praise Him with the timbrel and the dance. Play with the high-sounding cymbal, the lyre of praise. And let everything have breath. If I've got a little bit of ounce of strength left in my body, I have to praise the Lord. And finally, I want to bring this to your attention. He uses a variety of people. He uses a variety of plans. Finally, though, everybody's promises are not the same either. Now, we all have corporate promises, heaven. We all have corporate promises of train up a child the way they should go, and they grow old, they won't depart. That's great. But if you don't have children, that really don't help you, does it? If you have no children, then training them up the way they should go, you don't have to worry about praying for the salvation of children if you don't have children. That promise only applies to people who have children. If someone walks in this room and has a doctor's report of congestive heart failure or they have a doctor's report of cancer or they have something that the doctor pretty much sentenced them to die. The scripture of I am the resurrection and the life, I am Jehovah Rapha, I am the God that healeth thee. That scripture doesn't really apply to me if I'm not sick. It's not that God still isn't the God that healeth me. But if I don't have cancer, I may not need him to heal me right now. Because I'm not the one facing this battle. But now if I'm the one over here battling cancer, I might need to know that there's still the promise keeper of a God that still healeth thee. But if I'm not sick, that may not apply to me. See, promises, the Bible says that not one dot, not one tittle, God's word would 
you know, pass away and, and he, he wouldn't allow the, his word to return unto him void, but it would accomplish the task and purpose that it was sent to do. point to be made is that sometimes I might need the God that healeth me, but sometimes I may not need that promise because I may not need healing right then. Sometimes I may not need healing. I might need Jehovah Jireh, the God that will provide all of my needs. I may not need healing. Maybe I need a financial miracle. Maybe I need a new job. Maybe I'm praying about a new house. Maybe I'm praying about infertility issues and not being able to have children. You see, yeah, while I could say, well, yeah, that still is the God that heals me, that might be true. But depending on what stage I'm in in life, I might need a different promise to lay claim to during that stage. See, if I don't have children, I don't need the promise of train them up in the way they should go. When they grow old, they won't depart. But once I do have children, that promise now becomes effective because I don't want them to die and go to hell. I don't have to pray for God to save my grandchildren if I don't have grandchildren. But once I do have grandchildren, then I'm going to need the promise that God will even go from my generation to the next generation to the next generation. I'm going to need to serve the God that says he will keep pouring his blessing to all generations once I have those grandchildren. See, we all walk through different places and different seasons. Sometimes we have this big umbrella. We have all these problems that we like to put under this big umbrella of faith. Try to just make them a blanket thing. See, I thought about a couple things. As Miss Carol, you make your way. I thought about, you know, if God is better glorified by delivering his people then he'll deliver them. But, however, if God is going to get more glorification by not delivering his people, then he may not deliver them in that moment. And if he doesn't choose to deliver me in that moment, then I have to learn how to trust, how to grow, how to deepen my walk with him, because not everything in life is cookie cutter, mapped out. God's going to always do it the same way every time. See, some people pray one time and it's done. Some people pray 38 years and it took 38 years for God to answer the request. Oh, don't you think the man in John chapter 5 at the pool of the desert, he wished he only had to go one time and pray and he could walk? Wouldn't you think that's... I mean, that's how we'd want it. Let me go one time, pray one service, one good Holy Ghost filled service, pray one time, be healed, never have to worry about that again. That's how it works. That's how we like it. But what if it doesn't? Do we come back for night two? Do we come back for night three? Do we come back for year two, year three? Do we come back for 38 years still carrying that promise? That God, I know you're able, I'm just waiting for you to deliver. Do we come back for 38 years to that place? I don't know. See, there's a variety of promises in God's Word. One must never conclude that the absence of deliverance means that there's a lack of faith on the part of the individual or a lack of God's ability to fulfill His promise. Just because God doesn't fulfill it doesn't mean He's not able to fulfill it. 
And just because we, I've heard people say, well, obviously the reason God's not answering is they're lacking faith. No, sometimes it has nothing to do with their lacking faith. Sometimes they're exhibiting more faith than you're exhibiting by still holding on to the promise. It's not a lack of faith. It's God just proving how they are to live by faith in Him. The Apostle Paul said it so eloquently. I've prayed many times for the Lord to remove this thorn in my flesh that's hindering me and he has yet to do it some say Paul could have had a disability some say that thorn in his flesh could have been health care some people said that even though Paul was received sight maybe Paul after that Emmaus I mean that Damascus road experience maybe it had something to do with eyesight but whatever his thorn in his flesh was the Bible said he prayed a lot God would take it away but he didn't. But it made Paul have to depend even more on the Lord. Because Lord I have a disability and I have something that won't go away. But I need you to help me keep making it on. See that if he took it away. What if Paul would have thought well then I don't need Lord, the Lord now. I got it now. I don't need him anymore. Sometimes God don't deliver us. Because whatever it is that we're facing is what's keeping us dependent on him. And that's where he wants us to stay. Because sometimes if he delivers us. We'll think we were able to do it on our own and we don't need Him anymore. The Bible teaches us that our faith is to be made perfect. One's faith is not based on the mountain, but rather it is based and seen in the valley. See, the reality of it is, I don't have to have faith on a mountaintop. That's pretty simple. Pretty easy to trust God when I got five thousand dollars in the bank and payments are made and the mortgage is good and Brian and I have been able to go eat nice steakhouse all week long they ain't even checking the bank account it's so good I don't have to trust God then I'm feeling pretty good about myself you know when people have to start trusting God when there ain't money in the bank when the job might play out when the budget doesn't make sense, when I got to pay my tithes, but I know that the electric bill is due on Monday, so if I pay my tithes on Sunday, I'm not going to have money to pay the electric bill on Monday. But if I pay the electric bill on Monday, and I'll pay God his 10% on Sunday. The Bible says that my money will be cursed. It'll be like holding a bag full of sand. God will curse it. So I got to make a tough decision here. You see, that's faith. When I know as soon as I write that check, when Miss Carol cashes it in the bank, I may not have money for Berkeley Electric Co-op told this story before and then I'm, I'm done before I was born my parents got married obviously and they were serving in a church my mom my dad was raised Southern Baptist my mother was raised Pentecostal so even though my dad was exposed to it through some of his siblings and traveling and church services and revivals it wasn't his if you will his strength he was a little more reserved in worship he was a a good back row, back row seat and Baptist boy who you didn't screw up with the hymns you don't change the tempo and you better not have a percussion drummer in church I mean he was that organ and piano was the only thing going to heaven everybody else was playing God's I was playing Satan's music they were playing no he got it he got indoctrinated with some of my aunts and stuff started going to church playing for Pentecostal but even then in fact one time but he, the story he tells, even when he got spirit-filled, he went and told his Southern Baptist dad about it, and they wouldn't even talk to him for weeks. 
his own dad. He said, I, that's no. And it wasn't until my grandfather went into his prayer closet and kept praying and kept praying and kept praying that finally the Lord one day showed up and gave him that prayer language. He went back to his church down in Hopewell at Hugey, Hopewell Baptist Church, and said, I'm going to have to resign. And they said, why is that, preacher Vaughn? They said, well, listen, my son started going to a Pentecostal church. He got spirit-filled, and I didn't believe in that. And I started praying about it, and I wasn't real sure about it. But I'm just going to tell you guys, I was praying. I can't explain it, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon me. He filled me with the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'll have it happen and outburst every time in church, but I'm just telling you, I can't stand here in good faith and preach every Sunday and, and, and preach on, on on the Holy Spirit and say it's not real in terms of Acts chapter 2. I, I can't say that anymore. You know what they said? Oh, thank God. We've been waiting for you to tell us that. We all got, there was a bunch of Gaskins in that church. And they said half our family is at the full gospel church across town. That's all we know. We come here, but Lord, we've been waiting for somebody to bring life in this church. They had more Pentecostal services at Hopewell Baptist Church when I was a little boy than most Church of God's had when I was a little boy. My parents, when they got married, they had bought, they had just bought a house in Sangaree. It wasn't like it is now in some of those nicer neighborhoods. It was in the ghetto of Sangaree. They put all their monies together. And they finally got married. They bought the house. They had a decision. They had no cleaning supplies. They had nothing. They didn't have grocery money. They had not, They literally, they said on a Saturday night before church, if we pay our tithes based on our income, what we made this week, we literally will have no money in this bank until we get paid on Friday. We don't have clothes. We don't have cleaning supplies to clean the house. We don't have food. We have nothing. They decided together. They said, you know what? We're just going to learn to rough it. That's just the way it's going to have to be. We're not going to not give to God. And so that Sunday morning, they went to church, I believe, at that particular time. They may have been, if I'm not mistaken, they may have been going with my uncle when he was pastoring Chaparral, uh, uh, Free Will Baptist at the time, somewhere around that time. But he was, he was doing that somewhere around there. They, gave, they went to church, and they gave the money that day. Went home knowing <laughs> we ain't even got a broom. <laughs> Forget chicken. We can't even sweep the floors and eat the crumbs from last night's chicken. We got nothing. They came home on Monday. Someone rang their doorbell. There's this lady standing there. I was going to the church there at the time with them. I said, Keith, Melody, you don't think we're nuts. Please don't think we're some crazy loony bin people. This lady, she's gone. This particular lady's gone home to be with the Lord. She used to come to, to this church actually years ago as well, but she's already been home to be with the Lord. But she said, I was in food line. I was just walking by my groceries. And the Holy Spirit told me to go down the cleaning aisle. And she told me to get a mop, and a broom, and a bucket, and some paper towels, and some cleaning supplies. And she said, I basically said to the Lord in my spirit, God, this is, I have this. I don't need this. And she said, and he said, no, I want you to take it by Keith and Melody's house. And I want you to give it to him. And she said, look, I know you're going to think I'm crazy. But the Lord told me to buy you cleaning supplies for you. I know you already got a mop and a broom, so please just find somebody else who needs it. What she did not know. Is that Saturday night, Brother Marion, before they went to bed, my mom and dad had prayed and said, God, 
we can't afford cleaning supplies, but we're going to give to you, and you're going to take care of it. What they didn't know is when they gave it on Sunday, by Monday, somebody's going to be walking in food line and bring the cleaning supplies they were worried about not having to pay for the house. Can I tell you, when you live by faith, you don't have to worry what tomorrow may bring because God's already the God of tomorrow, and He knows what you have need of even before you ask it. That's why the old song says this, and I close with this song, the old Oak Ridge Boys sang this song. This is the song that said. It says many things about tomorrow. I don't understand. But I know who holds tomorrow. And I also know who holds my hand. I don't know what tomorrow may bring. In fact, if you go back and look at that same hymn on one page 162 that I started out with. It actually starts out saying, I care not tomorrow may bring the sunshine or the rain. See, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but he does. He does. You might walk into the job tomorrow and it might implode all around you. God knew that before you walked into the building. You might be like Miss Jeannie who, as of Friday and even yesterday morning, thought she was going to be teaching children at church, but woke up this morning with fever and chills. Nausea and end up in, at the doctor's office. You, you may not know what's coming around the next bend, but God does. And I'm telling you tonight before you leave this place, I don't know what you may go through tomorrow or Tuesday or Wednesday, but I'm telling you that just as the Bible said, the just shall live by faith. If you leave this place today and you trust the hand of the Lord, God's already in your Monday working out what you're thinking about here on Sunday. And God's already fixing what you're going to see on Tuesday before you ever walk in there on Tuesday. And if you get here on Bible study on Wednesday, God's going to help you on Wednesday be able to get through Thursday, Friday, Saturday till you get back on Sunday. Because when you live by faith, God will take care of the rest of everything that you're going through. Will you stand all over the house this evening? Getting ready to close out in prayer before Brother Randy prays the benedictory prayer. I want to pray over you today. Many of you may be going to work this week or a couple folks I know within the, in the building are starting some new jobs, new tasks, new things. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that even though this is a new season for them, God can walk before them in this season. Some of us, we may be going to the same job tomorrow, maybe going to school, maybe going to whatever. But I want you to know, you leave this place. I no matter what the devil may try to bring your way this week to discourage you or to even defeat you, God's already been in that tomorrow before you ever got there. He's already on the scene. You just got to trust him. Before you walk into the doctor's office, Brother Jimmy Villanueva this morning said, Pastor, pray for me that tomorrow. I got to go and have some, some tooth surgery tomorrow. And I got back to my office this afternoon and I thought to myself, Brother Jimmy, I, in my head, I thought, Brother Jimmy, I'll pray for you. But God's already been to the dentist office today. He already knows what chair you're going to sit in. He already already knows what Novocaine supply they're going to pull from. And he already knows what doctor's going to be sitting in the chair. Buddy, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm telling you, God's already went by your dentist office. He already's been there. He's got you right where he needs you. It's going to be all right. And whatever you face this week, I want you to know God is already there. If you just trust him and have faith in him, he'll see you through to the end. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father thank you for your kind love and mercy in your great love you picked me up and you 
set my feet on the miry, out of the miry clay and on the rock to stay. We have felt your presence in a powerful way. Fathers, we get ready to leave this place and go to and fro our destination into our humble places of abode. I pray today that you would speak to our hearts. Let us live by faith. We may not know what tomorrow may bring, but we can live by faith according to the riches of Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, bring us back safely on Wednesday night for Bible study. If it be your will, Lord, also bring us back safely next week to celebrate Mother's Day together and to worship the Lord together as we celebrate Mother's Day, but also worship you with the beauty of holiness. And Father, we pray that you would bless us and keep us. Your face shine upon us. Be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance towards us. Give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding and guard our hearts till you come again. And that the words of our mouths and meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Don't forget before Brother Randy prays this benedictory prayer. If you're still interested in senior adult retreat, please sign up in the foyer. Next week's the deadline. We will have all the other information of hotel finalizations and everything then as well. But you can go with us. Uh, make sure you let us know uh, by next Sunday. Also, also, next Sunday's Mother's Day. If you're able to come to church, we're going to have a great time in the Lord's special service. It's going to be wonderful, so we want you to come. Also, uh, we also want you to be made aware of EBS. It's still on the on happening in June, so if you haven't, let us know if you're willing to help, whether it's bring baked goods, get ice. We've got donations for chips and hot dogs and hot dog buns and condiments and all that see sister Jennifer or some of her team talk to them they'll give you a 411 about what you need with all of that but make sure you you are part of that if you want to be part of that Bible study Wednesday at 7 Sunday school next week at 10 and worship next week at 11 I love you I'm praying for you God bless you brother Randy would you close us out tonight